0: Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI Communications, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Welcome back communicators. How you doing? How's everybody doing? Checking in. Um, No matter when you're listening to this, I'm sure something is going on. Uh, So, you know, I just, I want to send A little bit of love out there, actually a lot, to communicators. And I want to make sure that no matter what you're working on, that you are taking care of yourself and that it's okay to tap out when you need to. Uh, We have a supportive conscious communicator, DEI communicator support system here at Kim Clark Communications. And if you need any support, that's what we're here for. And this podcast is an extension of that support for you personally and professionally, and today's guest is going to come at our conversation today from a digital marketing uh, perspective, deep, deep digital marketing uh, experience across industries and even academia. And so, I'm really excited to introduce Ben Gutman here uh, to communicate like you give a damn. So we typically have you know corporate communicators listening and. But our buddies over in marketing and brands, we have to be really, really tight with them. So sharing your expertise with us is going to be exceptionally helpful for us to understand how marketing can work and apply to us as communicators. And especially on how we talk about and describe diversity, equity, and inclusion as a narrative for our organization. So I'm really pumped for this conversation and even more so for your book coming out, which will be the primary focus that we'll talk about today. So Ben, welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn. Please introduce yourself.
1: Thanks for having me, Kim. It's great to be here. Uh, appreciate the introduction. So a little bit about me. I, uh, My name is Ben Gutman. I ran a marketing agency for 10 years. Uh, now I don't. I sold business a year and a half ago. And since then i've been exploring a lot of different things and one of the most exciting is my book which just came out it's called simply why clear messages win and how to design them i'll grab a copy of it over here uh and it just came out came out about a week ago very exciting uh it is the culmination of those 10 years running a marketing agency working with all sorts of great clients from we started a local ice cream shop and worked our way up to the NFL and Comcast and I Love New York and all these other great brands. And then the other, the past years, in, you know, inclusive of a lot of those years, I have also been an adjunct at Baruch College here in New York and been teaching marketing in the uh, Zicklin School of Business there for, for a long time, which is also where I graduated. And I absolutely love that. It is my favorite thing that I do, it's the best. Uh, so, when what happened is that when I when I look at the experience that I had there and at the experience that I had in um, in, the, in the professional setting, and then I looked at my personal experience of being a consumer a user of the world, is everybody has the same challenge, which everybody listening here will understand. Would you know? Would you understand? Which we had all important things to say, and we had a really hard time getting them out. We have, and that's why you hire a marketing agency, right? in the when you think of it, you can understand. You you can not so much understand. You can you can know what you're doing, right? You can say, okay, this is how I'm going to run this campaign. This is how I'm going to you know build this brand, whatever it is. Um, but not until I was sold the business and was able to take a step back, I was able to look or critique that question, which drove all of those all of those projects, which drove all the stuff I teach which is why do some messages work and just don't? And that was the, the kind of research question that kicked off writing this book.
0: Well, you did a great job with the title, simply put. I mean, it's, you know, whenever we can use vernacular as a book title, I think really helps. And it also makes your point uh, of the book. And, you know, and it's really clear for who it's gonna benefit and there's so many content creators that listen to this uh, podcast that may or may not be formally in communications. But we know content creators, they're communicating and, and communicators are, are creating messaging. So uh, I love the title. Simply put, clear go. messages when and how to design them. I love it.
1: You know, I, I've been joking. Um, so that,
0: gonna
1: go I was just going to say, ahead. you know, you, you 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 know, the old cliche is that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. It is a book. That you 100% should judge by its cover, right? If, if I didn't do uh, a good job with the title, with the subtitle, with the back cover copy, with the design, uh working with my publisher and all that stuff, then I wouldn't be trustworthy in terms of what I was talking about. So uh, we were, you know, Kim and I were joking before we we recorded that I loved writing this book. It was a lot of fun. I'm excited to share all the stuff in it, but I wouldn't recommend anybody writes the same, the same book again. Because uh, every single time that you're on a podcast or you're writing a blog or an email, you're going to be judged on that, on the, the efficacy of your own work uh, as part of that.
0: <laughs> Can I do that to you now? <laughs>
1: uh,
0: what's your story, Ben? Is there anything else that, that that informs how you got to where you are today in writing the book uh, and having the bravery of writing the book. But can you tell it in a simple message that kind of is an example of what you teach in your book?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a little bit of what I kind of said to to kick things off, right? So I would see the same problem over and over again with our clients, with anybody that I would work with, which is to get the stuff out of our head and to get it into somebody else's head is something that should be easy, feels like it should be intuitive, but it turns out that we are built to receive things one way and we're built to send things another way. And uh, I look at this challenge through that experience of, of what I've done for a decade. My background's in design. Right? That's my functional background is as a designer. And I said, okay, well, we have this problem. How does the design, how would a designer approach it? And I look at it through, identified five different principles that we act upon to get there you know design this i have this conversation with a lot of junior designers uh design is not art right design is it's a problem solving activity it's how do you arrange things in the world to achieve a goal and we often don't think about the messaging the communications that we that inherit the things that we think of as design we think we think a piece of software is designed we don't necessarily think that the messaging inside the software is we think that an email that a a website is designed or a presentation is designed we don't necessarily think about the language and messaging inside of it as being designed. so how do we how do we extend that that set of tools and attitudes and and, uh, abilities into um into the language and into the the messaging itself
0: Hmm. Excellent points. Excellent points. So how was the process of writing a book like this for you? And, um, you know, and what kind of feedback have you gotten uh, from folks on how they've applied what we're going to talk about in just a second, which are your five mm-hmm. principles.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it's a ton of fun. I, I mean, I, I know a bunch of authors because uh, before, before I started my own journey on this, we worked with a number of authors in my age. We we would often a lot of stuff in the health and wellness space some self-help some business. And I always, I always loved that because I mean, listen, publishing doesn't that much money, but you work with really interesting people as part of it. And so I, I always enjoyed that. I was familiar with a bunch of folks, uh, but it's one thing to be familiar with it. And it's another thing to be on the, the side of actually being the person who has to write it and edit it and promote it and all those things. Uh, I really like it. People, people I've, I've, I and mean, you, you wrote your book, and I'm curious what your opinion is. There, people tend to fall into two camps, I've noticed people who love the act of writing the book and people who hated the act of writing the book. Uh, and <laughs> there's like not much middle ground, actually. I loved it. I actually really enjoyed being able to sit down and do the and the outlining and writing the stuff. Uh, but I've also met people who that every single word felt like it was pulling teeth. Uh, what, what, what was your, on <laughs> it?
0: Well, I'll liken that example to what Iyama Van Zandt says. There's speakers who write and there's writers who speak. My co-author is a writer who speaks, and I am a speaker who writes. So (laughs) I am on the opposite side of what your experience was. Um, I'd rather talk about it and teach, (laughs) educate, rather than actually write. So, which is why I started writing, learned this about myself, because it was my first time writing a book. And then I brought in a ghostwriter. I'm like, interview me, let me talk. <laughs> and then you do the writing part because that's your strength. That's, you know, but then I, I made sure, and then I re-edited everything uh, mm-hmm. that she wrote uh, to make sure that it was what I wanted to say, but I couldn't start from nothing, you know? Oh, yeah. uh, and so I-, I, at the same time, I have so much content and the beauty of writing the book was organizing that content. Like it's now codified, Mm -hmm. like the same thing that I've been talking about for years and years and years. It's now organized into a book with the addition of everything my co-author brought uh, to it, which also demonstrated all the years of work that she's been doing as well. So to have this kind of documented version of what DEI communications is and all that it can be when we apply the depth model to our organizations, it's like, I'm so glad I did it, but, boy, am I so glad it's done.
1: <laughs> oh, man. It, it, it's, there's uh, uh, Douglas Adams the wrote Tiger's Guide to the Galaxy. I just read a piece that described his uh, hatred of deadlines and writing and stuff. This guy was the most successful writers probably this the 20th century, commercially successful. and he had to be locked in a hotel room his editor at the at the publisher the two of them got adjoining hotel rooms and the the editor babysat douglas adams for like three months while he was locked in to to finish the book on deadline and he has a quote oh uh, oh yeah he he has a quote which i love which is um i love deadlines the whooshing sound they make as they blow past You know that, that one I, there, there's a part of me for sure that lever deadlines but one thing that's also interesting about the experience i had running an agency you know client services i got a, I have a scope of work i have a track have a deadline there's outside parties that have to be coordinated it really prepares you for writing a book right because i i looked at it and i said okay well there's this deadline break us up into different pieces and first i do research then i do outlines and then i you know, I, and then I would go sit at a coffee shop and be like, "Okay, I'm going to go write the part today." the the um, the the effect of having that process though, where I would you know have the outline, pick what I wanted to write on a daily basis, led actually to a very an easy to write, but a very difficult to read first draft because the first draft uh, had every little. Um, I, I ended up being very repetitive in the first draft. There was mm-hmm. a lot of things that. Because I me forgot to explain something a month and a half ago when I sat down and wrote that piece, I wrote I explained it again in another yep. section later on. So the the editing process was very valuable as part of the
0: as yeah of I agree I, I you know and, and it made me more succinct on my ideas um, mm-hmm. and my co author is was excellent at that. She read through all of my stuff and said, "Well, you already said it here." She's the one that found that stuff um, and. My and then my ghostwriter, of course, was was phenomenal at that as well. So, it made me a stronger writer as a, as and but it also helped me be more succinct in my ideas as a speaker mm-hmm. as well. So, the whole process, all upside, absolutely. It was just oh, yeah. really painful to be in the middle of it, and I'm glad it's done. So, people are saying when's part, when's your next book coming out? And it's like too soon. All right, um, (laughs) let's talk about your book. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you you know, you've got what the the crux of your book is these five principles. And it reminds me of a quote, you know, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. Um, I I really, really love these uh, five principles that you share with your book. So I'd love for you to, and just to give you a little bit more of uh, an understanding of the kinds of Communicators that are listening now. We've got people from governments from all over the world, not just U.S. We have people who are communicators within the government, uh, publicly traded, not for profit, um, in the U.S., outside of the U.S., medium, small, large, global, national. You know, a uh, small, solo, family-owned. All of it uh, are people that are listening to this podcast. And so while we represent every industry, you know, country, language, org size, all of it, we do have the challenge of simple communications and common to your point. Like this is something that everybody has a problem or a challenge with and wanting to do better no matter what kind of organization it is. And dare I say for us as interpersonal relationship people, we could we could be better at it as well, you know, have more simplified messaging just in our interpersonal and, and interpersonal kind of communications as well. But with that in mind, we are also at a time as diversity, equity, and inclusion communicators, and really learning what DEI is. That's our product. That is our service, if you will. Mm-hmm. That we are trying to tell a story around that is inclusive of all of our employees and engages our leaders and we need to tell a story tell a narrative and have messaging that really helps under, helps our folks understand outcomes the benefits of DEI and how critical they are to embed across the organization now I'm not asking you to be a DEI expert you you do you Ben right you know so you're a digital marketing expert you are a marketing expert and it's not it's it's pretty much the same that what we're trying to do here in developing our messaging around DEI and, and for us to be effective marketers and communicators of DEI within the organization. So I'd love for you to walk us through what the five principles are and then maybe you could play around a little bit with the process that you talk about in the book and garner some imagination and some inspiration for our audience on how they can apply it to as they how they're developing their dei narratives
1: yeah absolutely so uh i'll even i'll I'll go back even a further step actually so there's the two parts in the book there's the why and the how the why is this first piece and this is going to be because we you know what we're talking about a lot of the listeners here are going to know this um but the the essence of simplicity. I, d- I define it as a message that is easily perceived, understood, and acted upon. And what that describes is what's known as a fluent message. So fluency is a word we know, right? It's we can be fluent in English or Spanish, or wine or cooking. We, there's a lot of different things we can be fluent in, and it comes from the word flowing, right? Uh, where something is fluent, something's easy. And as a cognitive scientist, what they will describe, if you ask them what fluency means, it means that well, it's easy to take something from out in the world and stick it in your head and make sense of it. It's easier to read something, to see something, to hear something. It's easier to take any sort of stimuli and and uh, input it and take action upon it. And the, the, the summary, when you look across all the research about, about fluency, is that when something is easier, when it is easier for us to take out, take from outside, put it inside, we have all sorts of positive associations, right? We like it better, we trust it more, more likely to buy it, all those things. And the opposite is also true, right? If we uh, have to sweat and work to understand something and to make sense of it, well, we'd like it, we don't trust it and we don't buy it. All, and if you're in a position, like all of those different groups that you just mentioned, if you're buddy who inform or persuade as to what you're doing that's not what you want right you want something that people are going to have for these positive associations with so that's the the first part the conflict is we have a lot of uh internal and external factors that push us towards the opposite of that we're in charge of sending we have an additive bias more likely to add than subtract we have uh Societal pressures, which say, you know, we can put a line on our resume for a thing we added, but we don't really put it for something we got rid of, right? We we don't get our picture in the paper for maintaining a bridge or taking down a bridge; we get for putting one up. Uh, So there's internal, there's external pieces of that. So so that's the gulf that we're trying to 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 bridge when we're talking about these five principles and that design hat on again. So these are the five pieces I've identified. It's not step by step; it's not a checklist, but they're principles. For, um, for for developing a fluent message, a simple message. Uh, so the first one is beneficial. What's in it for me? What's in it for the user? What does it matter to the receiver? Uh, people don't buy features, they buy benefits. This is kind of sales 101, marketing 101. Uh, people don't buy features, they buy benefit. What does it mean to them? Number two, focus. Are you trying to say one thing or are you trying to multiple things at once? the the word priority is singular right you can only focus you only really communicate one thing at a time salient the third one does your method stand out from the noise when everybody is zigging or you zagging is there not contrast with the brown does this rise to our attention does it stand out Is something perceivable that's salient empathetic is number four Are you speaking in a language that the audience understands are you meeting them where they are both in terms of the actual words that you're using but also where they are emotionally what their motivations are are you are you understanding who your audience is and then finally the last one is minimal and i don't really have these in a particular order except for the first and the last one beneficial is important because you need to start with what's in it for the receiver minimal is at the end here because it's about have thing you need but only what you need and you cut out everything else that's, that's superfluous and this doesn't mean what's important to remember on this one is it doesn't mean that it's the fewest number of, of characters or words or sentences or paragraphs uh it means it's a amount of friction is it is it uh, as a user experience uh term friction is it the easier is to take, take to sense of, to perceive, and sometimes that means more web pages. Sometimes that means more slides. Sometimes that means more paragraphs. Um, as long as it is easier than the alternative. So if you take these five and you act upon them, you're going to get to a state of fluency, and you're going to develop a simple message.
0: I think you made a really good point in there that I want to, I loved it all. There's one, one particular part where you're talking about, it's not necessarily fewer words, but there's, there's a a gut there. Um, There's a, there's a, there's a meat there speaking as a vegetarian. There's a meat there that, (laughs) that that's what really resonates with people. Um, and so when you're talking about simple messages, um, can you help just give us a little bit more of a definition around simple messages? Because, you you know, what you just said, it doesn't mean necessarily sometimes that can also mean more paragraphs, not less. Mm-hmm. But simple is still the goal here and provide uh, exercise or, or examples that you have that you share in the book
1: mm mm-hmm. uh, certainly, so i will uh, i 'll illustrate by actually pulling it away from messaging for a second so if you are so if you 're the average american you 're consuming thirteen hours a day of meat, some form of of messaging being hurtled at your brain, thousands and thousands of messages there's lots of things for us to pay attention to right there's lots of things that are are clamoring, beeping and buzzing and 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 flashing for our attention all of these things are there as as competition but if you give me a bit of friction there's a bump in the road if this has a word that I don't understand it is a clunky paragraph or a sentence that feels a lot of place or even your message is not visually designed in a way you know it's all just a big block of text instead of there being headlines and bullet points and, and call to actions and those type of things if any of if if those things happen, these bumps of friction, it's just an excuse for us to pull off. It's an off-ramp, right? And we don't want off-ramps. We want people to get to our destination. We're in the business of informing and persuading, which everybody is. We want to get people to where we want to go. If we are trying to do that, every one of those pieces is an off If you look at online shopping, we get this when dollars and cents go into it, right? If you look at online shopping, what happens when you press that button to check out? Well, you're going to go to a page and everything on that page is going to disappear except for the buttons that allow you to progress into the goal you're going to you're not going to have you're not going to have the menu to go back to another category you're not going to have the about us page on the investor relations page you're just going to have their credit card information enter your shipping address press that button and get out of there because designers of that uh, interface and every off ramp is is a, is a lost sale, and so they eliminate all the off ramps as much as they can, eliminate those pieces of friction, uh, and the the um, the version of this that can all uh, look at is you know let me see if I can re- uh, refresh myself on an example here for for minimal, but the you know something like Michael Pollan's uh, uh, you talk about being vegetarians. This reminded me. That's, that's, let's come back to me. Uh, this, if you want to just be a vivid example of a, of a minimal message versus one that's not, uh, if you go to the US Department of Health and Human Services and, and you look up what their recommendation for, for healthy eating is, uh, it's follow a healthy eating pattern across a lifespan. Okay, I mean, that's wrong, right? That's the headline. Cool, I get it. But it doesn't really, actually. It doesn't. There's friction there. Well, what is what is a healthy eating pattern? What does span on things? Uh, Michael Pollan famously, it's eat food, mostly plants, not too much. It's three sentences. It's longer. You know, the words are about this. That's longer. Uh, is all of a sudden you get it. It's vivid. It's descriptive. It is something that is uh, that is meeting me where I am. That's an example of of a, you know we have to admit the minimal terms of the design and minimal terms of the messaging.
0: That's a, that's a great example. Um, it also reminds me of my my girlfriend has a sign in the kitchen that says, eat like you give a damn. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and we're doing the podcast, communicate like you give a damn. <laughs> that's that's really powerful. Um, so is there a difference then between like taglines, like just do it or think different versus Simple messaging are they is are, are the taglines an example of simple messaging that we should be looking for in finding our voice um, on DEI narratives or can they look differently outside of a, a, a tagline?
1: Uh, you know, so it's fine. I do mention taglines quite a bit in the in the book, and I, I have them kind of right in the front and center in some of the the first pieces. But I that is largely because. Um, th- that's an easy way in. It's an easy way to understand kind of what we're we're talking about. Uh, another one that I love, by the way, they don't use it anymore. FedEx uh, I talk, when I talk about um, talk about empathy, I talk about you know how to, what are people actually how are people talking? You know how how what language are they using? Uh, FedEx had one of the best slogans that was an example of like how a human actually speaks, which is when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. But it absolutely positively has to be there overnight. You get that's that's how you would say it, right? That's how if I'm sitting there and I'm it's you know it's, it's five o'clock and the deadline's coming. Up, I got to get this thing to the to the client. I, this absolutely positively has to be there. That is a great example of of meeting people where they are in their language, their motivation, their emotional state. Um, but the tagline stuff it it it, uh, it also relates to. Um, this kind of this idea I talk about in the chapter on benefit, which is, you know, how do we how do we structure the, the different elements of a message, because this is actually probably more, if you read into the book, and all this stuff, it's probably a, there's a lot of stuff, if you're reading emails, and if you're designing websites, and if you're doing pitch presentations, and, and that type of stuff, there's a lot more meat in that, right, that's more, that's most of our communications, that's most of this, uh, I think will be relevant. But uh when i talk about benefits the um by by the way my about benefits this is what i tell my students and i say if you only remember one thing from this class from this course from this whole degree remember a sentence uh, and it's from theodore levitt who's a harvard marketing professor from the 20th century Uh, it is people don't want to buy a quarter inch drill they want a quarter inch hole People don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole. Uh, they don't want the thing where they want mm-hmm. what the thing is for So mm-hmm. uh, if you start with that understanding, is that again, it's about benefits, not features. And you start to understand, well, okay, what is the uh, what is the the importance, what is the meaning of this feature? You ask, so what? Right. And that gets you to the, the functional benefit. Then you can ask so what? again, that gets you to the emotional benefit. You know, an example. Minty toothpaste. Okay, I'm not buying Minty Toothpaste because it's Minty Toothpaste. I'm buying Minty Toothpaste so, so that my breath is fresher. Great, okay, at least I'm, I'm already on a, a better footing than having a big ad that says, here's Minty Toothpaste. Well, I actually don't even want fresh breath. What do I want? So what? I want to make a good impression on the date that I have here, right? Okay, so all of a sudden, I'm at the next level down. I'm at that emotional level of, okay, I want to have a good date. Because I have fresh breath, because I got the minty toothpaste, and you can even go a, further, a level further. You can do so what again, and you can get to you know the famous Maslow's hierarchy of needs. "What need is that going to is that going to match up to?" Well, my love and belonging, right? So you somehow got from minty toothpaste by asking, by acting like a kindergartner and asking three times, you got yourself to that foundational level where minty toothpaste is tied into love and belonging. And then that's how you really develop a good tagline is, is how do you, how do you get to the point where the, the you're talking about benefits, you're talking about the emotional needs uh, behind everything. Uh, and so uh, I I think that, that, and I put that one, you know, front and center because if you can get that right, then everything else gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can see that. And I, I, I love you bringing up that, uh, that reminder of people want the whole. They want the result. That's the outcome. You know. So when I'm talking to clients, and, and on this podcast, frankly, I try to say it every chance I get, We're, we have to be describing DEI from an outcome. What is the whole that they need? And then we mm-hmm. can go even beyond that. So what is that whole giving us? Is that whole giving us a place where we can put the string to hang up the picture? You know, what, 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 and then what's the picture doing on the wall? It's reflecting to us love, family, togetherness, wonderful memories. Okay, well, what service, well, then we're back to belonging. We're back to, you know, community. (laughs) It's like, you know, we can, we can go as deep as we need to, to find those places. And that's what our challenge, that's what I'm asking DEI communicators to do. Is you know DEI can be the drill, but the outcomes is leading to I need a hole right here. So what do I need to get to that hole? I need DEI to make that hole, and then that hole is going to give me what? So just just doing the introspection, just pausing and thinking this through because they're in, you know, I I thank you so much for bringing this to our audience because it's giving them language and a framework and tools to help them identify what their unique narrative is around what are these outcomes of DEI? What is this whole, why do I need the whole and to what end? And, 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 Allowing people just to see DEI at a deeper level and creating the language around that, because one of the things we always say on the podcast is language leads to behavior. So that's why my money is on communicators to really turn around what's going on around the battle, honestly, around DEI narratives and what it is and what it isn't. Um, Which leads me to my next question that, you know, we really leaned in, especially in the summer of 2020. And there was a lot of folks that put up the, the, the social posts, you know, on the black squares and stuff. And there was very few words. And we could say that was simple messaging, but it had profound impact on the work behind that messaging. Um, and then when we started leaning back, which is where we are now, we left this space open for other people to fill the void and enter in catchy phrases like woke Hmm. now and then we're caught off guard and employees are saying i don't want to work at you know Or leaders i've heard leaders say this to communicators we're not a woke company we're not going to add pronouns to the emails our our corporate email template so because we're not woke i don't want to work at a woke company now, not everyone can define what woke is, and a lot of people don't know that it's, it's, it's co-opted and appropriated from the Black community and now used as a pejorative. But you know, even if it can't necessarily be defined, there are a lot of people who say it, they just know whatever it means, I don't want it, right? <laughs> so how on earth did this term <laughs> catch on but all the rest of the ways that we talked about DEI did not. That's fascinating to me um, to kind of like water it down into a word that doesn't even belong to the community that is often repeating the word. And so, you know, from your work and working with clients uh, in marketing, using language, figuring out their messages, what kind of guidance can you provide? for communicators to help us understand this odd phenomenon and how to take it back.
1: That's a, that's a hard question, right? That is really tough. Um, what, what happens is this is the same, you know, it's a different, um, it's a different beat, but it's the same kind of song of, of, of what's happening across all of all of media, all of marketing, which is everybody's, you know, there's there's a war for our attention, right? Like that is the most finite resource that we have. The uh, we we have plenty of food, we have plenty of water, we have plenty of shelter. We don't have that much attention. We have the same twenty four hours in the day that we had before. We have even less because we're so frazzled after thirteen hours of those being spent communicating, messaging. So there's there's a whole uh, army of practitioners on either side uh of the marketing equation of the politics equation that are tr- going to try to um they're going to try to win as many of those as many of those little skirmishes for attention as you can so it's tough i mean i, I don't i don't have a good answer things just to throw out there possible tools for it. Uh, number one is i i mentioned this uh, when i talk about uh uh when i talk about empathy in the book which is it's a tool at the very end, which is how, what does your message sound like to some sort of bad attentions or somebody who won't give you the benefit of the doubt? How does it look in the worst possible light? That You just, playing a little bit of preventative defense can sometimes avoid the um, the, the issues which, which come up down the line. Uh, I don't want to wait into the relative, what would be a better uh, phrase or not, but we've seen also in the last, couple of years that the defund movement has been something that the folks on the other side have twisted and said, hey, you know what, okay, well, this, the, you know, this means X when it really went Y beforehand. So that's an example of kind of failure to stress test your your message a little bit. I thought, you know, again, I don't want to get into what was more active one because I don't really have one, right? But the, the, you have to run that test a little bit. Uh, and... You know, I'll leave of this other piece, which is a lot of times when we're when we're trying to focus our message, try to just say one thing, because this is kind of what happened before we get out there. It happens on the in the inside a lot of times, either internally in our own heads or in our organizations is that we want to say this and this and this and this. And if we do all those things, I call it the Frankenstein message, which actually if you you look at the, the book, uh, Mary Shelley's book, how she describes the monster is not that oh it's the ugliest thing on the planet it is individually each element was beautiful it's got big strong muscles got lustrous hair got these beautiful white eyes and and every item that dr frankenstein selected for the monster was beautiful that it's it was selected beautiful but when you put them together it was a gruesome composite it was something that was worse than the sum of its parts and if you're not able to um you're not able to focus you're not able to get kind of to that one piece uh, and because you think everything else is so good, it has to be there, you're only nearing down. We, uh, we, we want to live in an infinite world, and we, in many ways, sometimes we do. But attention is finite. If, there's, if we're saying one thing, all of our attention is going to that. If we are trying to mess message three or four or five things at once, each one of those things comes at the cost of, message, of the attention that is given to the other things.
0: Mm. Very interesting. Let me let me kind of. Um, I love the Frankenstein Rick Frankenstein example uh, because it's something else that we deal with as communicators is that we we are constantly battling noise, right? So much information bombarding our employees, and. Um, so just, you know, everyone and, and their brother wants to get messages out into internal channels, for example. So we have a constant challenge of finding the quality rather than the quantity. So I think the Frankenstein thing example uh, is really helpful because we have lots of singular messages. And then we try to do too much all at once and it ends up falling apart. I'm going to rephrase uh, part of the question I just asked you to see if I can ask it better. When a message is simple and it meets the criteria of the five principles, like apparently the term woke has, because it's, it's gotten widespread use. It's um, it sticks. It, it has a, uh, it has this factor where it has taken up space. Like people use it, it has stuck, right? Um, I'm what, what about that word or um, let me see, I'm gonna look at your principles here. So beneficial, that's, that's interesting to see uh, how that work fits into the principle of beneficial. Um, besides, I can see the benefit of that word basically shutting down conversation about DEI. It just stops it. Mm-hmm. So there's a benefit to saying that word. So if somebody's uncomfortable and wants to end the conversation, they can get out of it by saying woke. Okay, so I can see the benefit of that. It is very focused, mm-hmm. it's one word <laughs> about one topic. <laughs> Salient
1: um well i actually the i i would i would argue that maybe what has happened now is that the uh the focus lost a little bit right so it's because okay. the it, it's hard it's harder to um to apply this to a single word right because that's it's it's you know getting down to like the atomic like quantum level of the piece. but the the problem with how the uh the powers pushing in the other direction, try to define woke is that they don't define, if you ask if you, you know, there's always the funny clips from The Daily Show or TikTok, or whatever, of some journalist, comedian, going and asking folks at a Trump rally, like, what does woke mean? And they don't really have a description. The problem, right. so what what they've managed to do, the other side is turn woke into a boogeyman. So it's not so much that the word has a, you know, the letters that form the word that's wrong with that is that they've taken it and they've said, well, you know what? This isn't focused. It doesn't just mean what it originally, It mean, everything that's bad, right? Like that's, that's how they've, they've co-opted that phrase. And I think that um, it's been for their audience, very successful in doing that, right? Like there's entire presidential candidates that are running campaigns on like the anti-woke agenda, because well, what does it mean to be anti-woke? What does it mean? anti the things that you think are bad like that that's that's what they've turned that word into um and again i i'm no i'm not a linguist or anything but i I understand that uh just like how a brand can get diluted a word can get diluted as well if if you use a word if it gets used and misused and um it'll it'll turn to mush and it'll turn to whatever somebody else wants to describe Uh, whenever i hear You know, I've written the the book where I talk about you know the dictionary adds a new word. The Oxford English Dictionary adds or updates a definition every 29 minutes. Dictionary isn't prescriptive, right? The dictionary is descriptive. Uh, Every word, you know, English is a is a living language, just like everything else, and uh, the the forces pushing pushing in that other direction have managed to in many ways at the least their audience to redefine that word so that is not focused that it just it just means kind of the generic ad
0: so it's it's lost its focus there it's focused um, for, for a particular audience, you know, when I, when I look at empathetic and your, your principle around empathetic here, it's like, it speaks the receiver's language and exhibits insight into the reality. So you don't even have to define what that reality is, but if you say it to a certain demographic, um, that, that is, they come up with their own picture and it works. Uh, it works for them and obviously it's minimal. So, It's interesting to look at terms that have made it, especially in the DEI space, since that's primarily what we're, we talk about on the podcast is, you know, narrative messaging, words, phrases, terms that have worked, that have moved people either towards or away from DEI work, where people feel opted in, that they're a part of the work, that have opted out. It's an interesting conversation that I'm asking uh, communicators to engage in. Like, what are the terms, the words, the messaging that has worked that has either turned people off and on to the outcomes of DEI? Because, again, we're going for the whole here. And what is the purpose of the whole? What does that give us? So. Um, I ask this question at the end of every interview, Ben, so let me know what your perspective is. But what does communicate like you give a damn <laughs> mean to you? What does that look like, given your five principles?
1: Uh, so the most foundational thing, that if you take it away from this, I think will we'll change a lot of people's perspectives. And actually, like, I don't know. Maybe this all, I, I, I probably, a lot of people listening are going to already understand this. Some people I know in business and in other realms don't understand it, which is uh, I break it down. There's it doesn't matter who you, if you're a kid, you're an educator, if you're a politician, if you are a marketer, you're a sender. There's the senders. That's all one bucket. I simplify that. Get everything else out of the way. And the other side, you know, the voters, the donors, the buyers. That is, uh, those are the receivers. Right. Keep it, you know, keep, keep it to its core essence. Senders and receivers. Just like if you're sending a letter. You have to pay the postage. The sender has to bear the literal and metaphorical cost of sending a message. Uh, it is our responsibility as someone who has something they want to say, who wants to inform, who wants to persuade, to make sure the receiver has plenty of stuff they want to do. They, have, they woke up today with a lot of things on their mind about their favorite sports teams and their political parties and the movie they want to watch later and the, thing, the deadline they have crushing on for work. They didn't wake up wanting to hear your ad. They didn't want to. No commercial you've ever seen has been against your will. Every nobody has on their to do list. I want to go click an Instagram ad. Uh, everybody is perfectly doing what they're doing. And if we're coming as a sender, if we're in that you know that bucket. We have to have that bit of, that humility to it. that it's our responsibility to make sure that we get heard. So if you can get that, then everything else is going to be easier.
0: Wonderful. Very practical. So um, everybody, you know, want to make sure that you go out and get simply put Ben's new book and take a look at these five principles a little closer. And you no matter who you are or how long you've been doing DEI and how long you've been talking about it, this is something to kind of go back and, and, and use as a litmus test. Uh, because the language around Dei is ever evolving as well so our so are so are the needs of our employees and our customers especially as Gen Z continues to enter the workforce the evolution is nigh you know <laughs> we are in it in the, the midst midst of it all and so our language needs to evolve to reflect and to your earlier point also shape um, how how uh, how the conversation needs to go forward uh, and and meet people where they are, but also lead them towards our desired outcomes. And uh, simple messaging that includes being beneficial, focused, salient, empathetic, and minimal are all the key principles that you will get out of the Simply book. Simply put book. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I wonder if other people have done that too, but simply put book. Uh, so, Ben, how can people find you, get the book, follow you, et
1: cetera? Well, appropriately, if you go to simplyputbook.com, you'll, you'll, find, you'll find the book. Uh, and, <laughs>
0: uh, uh,
1: and so <laughs> I put URL because my last name is Gutman, G-U-T-T-M-A-N-N, two T's and two N's. Uh, and it's really hard when I'm talking on a podcast to somebody go to bengutman.com and make sure they spell it right. But go mm-hmm. to bengutman.com, spell it correctly, or go to simplyputbook.com. And uh, you can find out about the book there. There's a free chapter you can download. Uh, you can buy the book anywhere. Books are sold Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and um, there's also an email. That's an email once a week. Just you know, pretty straightforward. I, I write something. I share something. I find an interesting idea, uh, and uh, anybody can subscribe to that. So I hope that you know it, this book is and the message therein is is useful to to. A lot of people, and helps make a difference. Uh, a lot of the folks that we're talking to today are, are doing incredible work and meaningful. And if this helps them do it a little bit better, I'll be very very happy. So, um, yeah, if any, if I can help of any anybody of anything, or if the book made a difference, please shoot me an email. I'll love to hear about it.
0: Thank you, Ben. Thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing your expertise uh, in marketing and doing some crossover work with us communicators to help us be better storytellers around our DEI narrative. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks so much, Kim, I had a blast.
0: Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicatelikeyougiveadamthepodcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening and until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.